Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. television spotlight episode i am joined by my sister Kay, and we are going to have a spoiler filled discussion on miraculous uh which is a french originating computer animated television show on nickelodeon it's also i think uh available at least some of it on um netflix and i think it's going to move over there with the second season interesting i've uh only got a this is going to be a little different than some some of our usual ones. Normally what we've done is we've watched a full season. We're going to talk about it. For this, we just watched two episodes, and they're the final two of the first season. And the reason I chose those is they're the origin of the characters. I would not have guessed they were the final two. Yeah. So for the whole rest of the season, and I've seen a couple of episodes, um, it's okay. You've got Ladybug, who is a teenage uh, high school student i guess high school it's definitely high school but i don't think we're told what grade in high yeah. school uh presumably just starting that's New very school. true very true so uh just starting in high school teenage girl uh we who is ladybug she's got uh gymnastic athletic type prowess she's essentially uh, well uh, according to wikipedia she's based on spider-man well, and cl- I want to clarify that the reason I think she is a freshman is new school where she knows all the students because she was in class with them last year. Yes. Therefore, so she's not new to this school. Yes. They, they've they all switched schools. Yeah. But it's set in Paris. She's got, like I said, or at the end of the, the origin, uh, these ladybug powers and such. And the show is an interesting mix of... American superhero mythology aspects, again, leaning heavily on uh, the Spider-Man mythos. She's got this super yo-yo thing, which is in place of a web shooter. Yes. Uh, The other main character is Cat Noir, who's kind of based on Black Cat. So you've got the the kind of cat thief sort of mentality. But they're both heroes. Yes. They each, I think each, definitely she. Has the ability, and I think she does it with the uh, yo-yo. She screams out Lucky Charm and does the yo-yo, and it creates what she needs in the moment. Well, this is where the show has a uh, Japanese, heavy Japanese influence, because they have their kind of Shazam moments. They've, they've each got, uh, what was it, an, an Akuma, which is their, their magical little, you know, not guardian, but little genie, essentially. The one didn't like being called a genie. No. <laughs> but she has one called... Um, Tiki? Tiki. And he has one called, I think, Flag. Hers, uh, her her uh, object of power, if you will, is a pair of earrings. Cat Noir's is a ring. Mm-hmm. She yells, spot, uh, spots on, he yells, claws out. Mm-hmm. And that basically gets their uh, Akuma to, to kind of power them up. And you get kind of the the shot of the costume materializing around them, akin to its morphing time, if you will, mm-hmm. 
or a, literally a Shazam moment, if you will, for, for comics. So they've got that uh, as part of the, the shtick for it. Both the characters have, again, that athletic, uh, acrobatic, parkour almost sort of a thing. I mean, they would jump over buildings and be bounding around town in incredibly, you know, long leaps. Yeah. Um, and her power is that, and, and the two-parter, I think, did a really good job explaining it at first. Hers is the power of creation. Mm-hmm. So her lucky charm thing allows her to kind of create what she may need in the moment, even though she doesn't know how or why she needs that object. Yes, yes. And in some episodes, she gets something, and then it's like, what do I do with this? And you get this shot kind of like we would see in uh, Psych, mm. where she'd be looking around, and the, the red with the black polka dots, the ladybug motif, would be on certain items as she's looking at this, looking at that, and kind of piecing together like a MacGyverish solution to something. Yeah. And Cat Noir's equivalent is Cataclysm, where he can kind of power up and, and destroy any one thing. And see, in this, I didn't understand how he used Cataclysm to save a life. It was a little unclear how he used the Cataclysm at the uh, the Eiffel Tower. Because the minute he touched the Eiffel Tower, I'm like, that was a bad move. Yeah. Because based on the rules as I understand them, it should have destroyed the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it seemed to kind of like extend a piece out as a flagpole that he could walk out to catch the guy on. I'm still a little hazy on some of the specifics of the, for lack of a better term, the magic of this world. Yeah. Uh, I mean, which is why I wanted to watch these two episodes. I've seen a few other episodes. I've been reading the comic. Uh, the comic is done by Action Labs Studios, Action Lab Entertainment. Okay. And uh, Drew and I reviewed one of them on a weekly comic spotlight. And they take the computer animated uh, images, the art, mm -hmm. and assemble them as if they're comic book panels. Now, me being the non-comic book person, I think of Action Labs and I think of licensed properties. Is that fair? I would say no, it's not. Most okay. of it's original stuff. Okay. That's what I wanted to check. Um, I would have to go through their current lineup to see how much... This was the main license thing I can okay. think of that they've got. Okay. The other one you would be familiar with would be uh, Athena Voltaire that they recently got. Um, but I've known, like, one or two of the guys over at Action Labs, uh, for a while, uh, uh Dave Dwanch and, um, Jamal Eigel, uh, who was their press guy for a while. And they do good stuff. I think this was a hell of a get for them. And I've seen other comics... Uh, there was a, a run of Power Rangers about 10 years ago by, oh, I'm not even sure which publisher it was, NBM maybe, anyways, where they took the live action and they did the same kind of, they did uh, uh, take the still, put it as a panel, put some word balloons, some sound effects around it, and treat the comic that way. The problem is, with live action, it comes across as a still static image. Yes. You never get them with the, the mouth open in the right way to make it seem like they're talking as you would in a comic. And then the other problem was the images were literally postage stamp size. Mm. So it was kind of hard to make out and they were a little muddy because the way the printing was. Whereas with Miraculous, the, the computer generated art feels like comic book art. It does. It pops. It's got the colors. It's got the sense of action. They can pick the right panel or the right frame, frame to put into the panel. And when uh, when Drew and I reviewed one of the the issues, I pulled up the episode, 
I watched the episode as I was going through the comic, and there were a couple of places where, okay, they come into the scene a little bit later, they leave just a little bit earlier, they drop a scene where they're like running down the stairs, okay, we can get that. Mm -hmm. There were only like two places where it's like, okay, they either tweaked the dialogue or removed a line or didn't put something in, where I thought it, it changed the story, not massively, but it gives it a different nuance. It's kind of like we've seen with some shows where you watch an episode and then if you are marathoning it and you f go to the next and they've got the previously on and they're showing you literally what you just saw, but a little different. Yeah. It's like, well, that puts a different spin on it. it he seems a lot more menacing or a lot less menacing or... Well, in this two-parter we watched, um, Cat Noir's real name. Adrian. Adrian. Okay, the boy who sits next to him in class, mm -hmm. if that character had had no dialogue, then Adrian's experiences in the classrooms would have come across totally differently. Yeah. And I can see where if someone was saying, we need to save time, save panels in a comic book, they would think, well, that's an easy subplot to drop. Just cut out that guy's dialogue. And they never did, in the one I compared the comic to the thing, the the episode, they didn't do that level of cutting. But there would be one or two where it's like, do we need to see them run down every street? Yeah. Uh, things of that nature. But mentioning that student, uh, one of the things I've kind of noticed, and I haven't watched the full season of 26 episodes. Um, again, we've watched uh, 25 and 6. I've read the first 10 comics, so... I've covered about half the, the show, maybe, maybe, because mm -hmm. uh, I've watched one or two other episodes here and there. Um, but what I've noticed is, well, one student is the daughter of the mayor, another a daughter of, of the police chief, another has this backstory. And it's something that it's like they've planned out the season and assembled the student body accordingly. Mm. And there are a few where it's not every time is a student particularly relevant or whatever. But it seemed to be a fairly well-constructed show in that respect. But one of the things I noticed, again, less so with this, although it's 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 a two-parter, so it's an expansion. There is a, a formula to the show. Mm. Uh, the, the twist here that they do on the classic comic book love triangle is essentially the Superman, Lois, and Clark kind of dynamic, but in both directions. Mm. Out of costume, she is in love with him. And he's kind of, well, it's just a friend. In in costume, it reverses. Yeah. So there's a little bit of, of the relationship dynamic going on there. Um, I think having the Akumas as their Jiminy Cricket kind of aspect, in one case with Tiki, the good influence with Flag, eh, maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, I liked how the guy who had the earrings and the ring found the right person to give them to that was one of the things i really enjoyed about the start of this two-parter is we get backstory on the the items of power mm -hmm. as being told by the akuma for the, the the moth akuma or whatever which is hawk moth now has and we see his becoming of of the supervillain, and he's playing kind of the the reader repulsa or lord zed equivalent if you will where he's generating the supervillain of the week. And he's very, very upfront of, I want their powers. 
what better lure for a superhero than supervillains? So I'll create supervillains. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how he becomes aware of people's plight and their anger and is able to kind of power them up. Well, he seems to, at least in this two-parter, it's, I have a butterfly that can find a person who has the appropriate inner angst. But then the telepathy to, to name them, empower them, it's basically an abuse of a power that was meant to create superheroes. Yes. Well, it's kind of a, once the butterfly makes contact, the butterfly connects back to him, and he has that telepathy. Is how I got it. Seems like, even with this one and certainly other episodes, he is already aware of somebody who Mm. he can send the butterfly out to. Interesting, yeah. And he's very clearly corrupting the the Akuma or the the Kwame or whatever they call these things. It's hard to keep the terminology right. It is. Um, So there's the the formulaic, okay, here's the the supervillain of the week. And sometimes it's somebody you know who's just hit a bad patch. Well, and I really liked this feeling and belief that this Tupar had of bad influence can multiply. Same with good influence. Mm -hmm. Well, and seeing here for the first time myself, the if you don't kind of de-evilize this, it can really propagate and, and get even worse. Yeah. And it's kind of the equivalent in Power Rangers where... You know, again, Rita does the make the monster grow, and suddenly it's giant size. They got to get in the Zord and go fight it all over again. Mm-hmm. And that's something formulaic that happens in every season of Super Sentai and Power Rangers, for the most part. In one season of Power Rangers in Super Sentai, they'd start in the robot, escape out, and then they'd have to go chase down the, the pilot, essentially. Ah, oh, okay. Which was an interesting twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the really early episodes or seasons of Super Sentai didn't quite have this. But it's not surprising there is this influence of Super Sentai because Toei is one of the companies behind Miraculous. They're also the company that does the Super Sentai stuff, which gets adapted into Power Rangers. So well, there's that connection. I liked that Ladybug and Cat Noir had very different reactions to receiving the powers, to how they accepted the powers, and a lot of stuff like that. It was kind of a showing you lots of options. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the part that I, I really found intriguing with the opening of this, is we've got the the old, presumably Chinese master, mm-hmm. who's like 180, yeah. who's got his own uh, uh, Akuma or whatever, but isn't transforming because he's not as young as he used to be. He can't do the ballet moves. Yeah. Yeah, doing the, the <laughs> power-up could could hurt him. Yes. Um, but when we get that that uh, origin of the others and stuff, we've got the, um, the two for uh, Ladybug and Cat Noir as part of the inner circle yin and yang kind of a thing. Creation, destruction. Mm-hmm. But then there was, I think, five or six around them. There were. You take one out for, for Hawk Moth, one out for the, the wise old mentor they never see. Mm-hmm. It still leaves three or four. Yeah. And I want to get a better look at those to find out, well, what could they be? Could we have others that come in? Mm-hmm. You know, when they go for a second and a third season, because they are. Well, and we certainly know in terms of real identity who Ladybug would suggest mm-hmm. receive one of them. Yeah, her best friend at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we don't know who, who Cat Noir would do. And the question is, 
in a second or third season, would they introduce another character who's kind of like, okay, you had the Batman and Robin, oh, let's throw Batgirl in kind of a thing. That who is this mysterious other? You know, how do they fit into the dynamic? Yeah. Do they then rotate as a, as, as a trio of heroes or do they pair off in various ways? Mm-hmm. Um, or do you introduce two others and they're kind of the other pair of heroes or whatnot? Uh, one of the things I found fascinating with this episode that we watched, the two-parter, was when Stoneheart, the, the villain of the week, is, is going out there. It's like, yep, Paris has its own supervillain. As if this is something in this world that's not unusual. Yeah. It's all, it's our turn. It, it was not even a bound to happen or what brought it to us. It's just, yep, we've got a supervillain. It's like we've got a hurricane that strikes this week or an earthquake or, or natural disaster. Yeah. I liked the way we saw characters who had total self-confidence, characters who lacked self-confidence. Mm-hmm. We saw parents who had complete faith in their children, but were also perfectly willing to say, you know, I'm right here to back you up. It was a balanced show in that regard. Yeah. You know, they had a diverse set of personalities. I liked uh, Marinette's uh, parents. I loved them. The The bakery, you know, again, is something that gets used later or whatnot. Just from what I saw in these two episodes, it reminded me a lot of the Saturday morning cartoons we saw as kids in terms of having the moral fiber. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that has attracted me to the property is it's got that heroic aspect to the heroes. Mm-hmm. The The villains aren't uber evil. They just they hit a bad patch and they got succumbed to the dark side for a while or for Hawk Moth quite a while. Well, but there's yeah. also the the uplifting aspect, the persevere. You can get through things. It's not a walk in a park if you've got superpowers or whatever. There are challenges, maybe unique ones for being a hero, protecting the identity, this, that, and the other. But then also keeping them humanized as the kind of the angst-ridden teenager stuff. It's a little cliche, but it, it works. But we all have lessons to learn. Yeah. Whether we are Adrian's father mm-hmm. or we're the teenagers. And the fact that all the generations had lessons to learn. Well, was nice balance. What I like with some of that stuff, uh, Adrian's father is a good example of this, is there's aspects of the story that's there to be seen without them hammering it home. Mm-hmm. Clearly, Adrian's mother died. Father thought she was taken away. He's suffered that loss, isn't going to suffer the loss of a son. So he will keep that son safe. Yeah. You know, and then there's also an implied backstory of Adrian's tutor and Adrian's father, if she's able to talk to him, get him into the public, you know, mm-hmm. she, there's an aspect of backstory throughout all of this that is is implied, shown, I like, but not told. Yeah, I liked when Adrian commented to the kids sitting next to him in class, you know, I've known Chloe since I was a kid and, and she's my only friend. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that accepting... That if I'm vulnerable for a moment and I confess what's wrong, maybe this person will give me some advice. There's a definite aspect of be open, be forthcoming, mm-hmm. you know, be yourself. Yeah. And whoever that is, be comfortable with that because there are other people that will accept you. Will everybody accept you? No. But it's it's got 
the right messages to be sending both mm-hmm. to kids. And it's to me, this is an all ages property. Yes. I am long since not a kid, but I find it fun, entertaining. It sends the right moral message. Mm-hmm. It's, again, a little formulaic, uh, but that's, to me, the nature of half-hour action-adventure shows aimed towards kids. Yeah. I mean, you look at Scooby-Doo, it's formulaic. You look at a lot of these things, it's nothing new and nothing wrong with it. And it's a formula that works, it's one that's fun, and that they've got some interesting twists to here and there. Well, and I think you hit on a very important piece in there. It's a formula that works. Yes. <laughs> you know, because when people started complaining about formulaic shows, it was because they were formulas that they were tired of or had stopped working for some reason. Mm-hmm. And that's why formulaic became a bad word. Well, once you know the formula, you know, okay, we're at about this point in the hour, the half hour, whatever portion of, you know, duration of the show, that's where we find out the person we've been chasing all along is not the real suspect or the real whodunit. Oh, we, now we've got to uncover the next layer of the mystery. Well, you know, we, we've got to go through the two red herrings and then go to the right suspect or whatever in a cop show. We reached a point where she puts something down, she does something, and I comment to you, so this is the end of episode one, correct? Mm-hmm. And we go about, what, 30 seconds more, and episode one ends. Yeah. You know, that's not a bad thing. That means I understood the pacing of the episode, and you had told me it was a two-parter. It's the kind of thing, if I had oodles of time, it would be fun to watch all 26 episodes of the first season here. And with a timeline of, okay, how far into the episode does the person get evilized Mm. by Hawk Moth? Mm-hmm. At what point do we see people going into action as, you know, Cat Noir and Ladybug? When does the cataclysm have? When does the power, you know, how, is it something that, yes, we've got the, every episode you are going to see the, the claws out, the spots on. That's yes. just how it happens. Well, and that's cool. I like that. But one of the things we've talked about among ourselves and probably on these podcasts before is when we were children, the opening credits and the theme song came on Mm -hmm. and that is what summoned you to the room for your favorite tv show because that was the very first thing at the top of the hour Mm -hmm. now there are times when i'll be watching a tv show and it'll be 10 minutes in yeah before i see the opening really it's a slide with the name of the tv show i'm not even sure there's always a jingle behind that slide it's gotten to where you've got the title card, it's up for about 10 seconds, and sometimes it's animated in some way. Here we had about a 30-second opening thing that's both a montage, but also has a voiceover of Marinette explaining she's got powers, she's fighting the good fight, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a catchy theme song. Yeah, but to me it's interesting how we've changed from the theme song being what summons you to the room mm-hmm. to tell you, okay, it's about to begin, to then we inserted a teaser yeah. of let's get you interested and then tell you, hey, this is what you've just gotten interested in what you're watching, to now we give you act one. In the comics, it's even worse. Sometimes they have the title and the credits on the last page of the story. You know, imagine going to a movie theater, sitting through two hours, 15 minutes, and then you realize, crap, I was in the wrong th- wrong, wrong theater. I was expecting a different film. No, you know. 
Well, but it's funny you use the movie reference because, what, in the 60s, all the credits were basically up front, were they not? Yeah, there was a lot where you would spend uh, a big chunk of time early on. Here's the majority of the credits. Who's in it? Who's doing the the music and all this kind of a stuff? Mm -hmm. And gradually more and more of those credits got moved to the end. Yeah. But to me, imagine if you didn't even have the uh the 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 title of the movie until boom you faded to black the movie's over then you get this is the name of the movie you just saw yeah you know it's like ending with the star wars crawl or whatever would just be kind of weird yes i'd like to see a film do that just so they could recap the entire movie you just saw well but what if you had a movie that purposely made the last line of dialogue include the title it's funny because we've watched some TV show that essentially did that. The last, or at least I have, the last phrase or word was the title of the episode, and it was just kind of weird. See? With this, again, they, they often title the, with Miraculous, based on whoever the villain of the week is. Interesting. I watched a TV show recently and didn't notice the title of the episode, which, going back again, in the 90s, it was rare, or before the 90s, for the audience to know the episode titles. Mm -hmm. And now they frequently yes, now it's, put it's, them on screen. Yeah. And, you know, it's become easier to know episode titles, in other words. And DVRs put the episode title on the I episodes you record, for instance. I wasn't really paying attention with this, because I know when we put the DVD in, we were picking the episodes and it was there. But during when we were playing, did it have? It did have it, at least on the second one. Because okay. I remember noticing it when it started up playing. I was thinking it did. I yeah. just couldn't remember for sure. Well, this TV show, I watched it live when it aired. And I wasn't conscious of the title of the episode. And then I had recorded it on my DVR and while I was going through my DVR. And I noticed the episode was titled Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. I wonder if that would have influenced my thinking while watching the episode. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, I know the definition of Stockholm Syndrome, etc. But I didn't have the concept of Stockholm Syndrome in mind at any point during my initial viewing of that episode. Yeah. So I did watch it again with that in mind. Well, again... If you've got the title, that tells you something about what the writer was thinking mm -hmm. when they wrote the story or how they decided to, to, whenever they titled it or whatever. And that can, that in the description of the episode on the DVR or whatever, it can color your opinion of an episode. We watched a different show and you and I were having different reactions and you finally confessed you'd read the description. Yeah, it's like, I know what's going on here because I read this, you know, I... That's also part of why I have a very uh, anti-spoiler mindset. Was that promotion or spoiler for that other thing we were watching? Either way, it changed how I viewed the material. Yeah, and see, I've gotten to where I've I've started avoiding a lot of commercials and trailers and articles. Well, I don't read the articles in TV Guide anymore mm -hmm. in a timely fashion. Because even that, even though they say it's not a spoiler... Just having information feels like a spoiler. Knowing who is guest starring in an episode can feel like a spoiler if it's been written such that someone walking into the room is meant to surprise you. Yeah. Well, like 
with this episode, we saw we've got the the guardian figure, the the mentor or whatever. Uh, if we were to watch another episode and it was one of those live action where guest starring so and so as the mentor. Yes. It'd be well, I guess he's going to show up and and we're going to be waiting for that. We're going to be looking for that. Yes. You know, so definitely having again the information you go into it with colors your opinion on stuff. Yeah. Um the fact that the origin was the last two episodes of this season for Miraculous is surprising on a couple of counts. One, most shows would have started with that. Two, they went for 24 episodes with people just having to understand they have powers. See, what surprises me is because there was no framing sequence to make it feel like a flashback or to tell you that you were viewing it out of chronological order to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because it's definitely a prequel, but it was definitely... Well, let me take a look, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, and they have two air dates on these things, and I'm not sure, they have two dates. Let me scroll up and find out what those dates are. Original air date, France, and then U.S. air date. Mm-hmm. So, in the U.S., they started with stormy weather, um, which was production code 101, implying it was the first one. It was December 20th in the U.S., 2015. But October 19th, 2015, in France, because again, French show. Mm -hmm. And then the two-parter was 2016 uh, in both cases, so it was definitely after. And it was was a prequel, and I think given the context and the fact that they're opening with here's what the thing is, it's, you can pick up what's going on. Yeah. You know, it would be as if... Uh, I'm trying to think what would be a classic. If you're watching like MASH and they're just starting the war or yeah. they're just setting up the camp yeah. or. Yeah. And you definitely have the mentor saying, I need to choose who to give these things to. Yeah. I mean, for me, I always find the the whole object of power thing kind of an interesting story device. Again, it's the, the whole wish fulfillment. Who wouldn't want the magic lamp with the genie and the, the three wishes? Uh, a Green Lantern power ring or whatever, you know, a lightsaber for that matter. One of the things that amused me in these episodes was Cat Noir's ring kind of flashes. It has a countdown thing after he uses the cataclysm. Yes. And it's funny because I've noticed that on some other episodes where he's realizing, geez, I got to bug out of here so I can recharge or whatever. He's got five minutes from the time he activates the cataclysm until basically he uh, demorphs, if you will. Yeah, power's down. Yeah, and it's just kind of funny because Ladybug presumably has maybe the same kind of thing going on with the earrings and she can't see it. I don't know that she has that. Well, she was told she has the same five-minute countdown. She says that's how she knows his ring is doing the five minute countdown because she's affected by the same thing. But she frequently looks at his ring and says, "Uh oh, five minute countdown. You got to scoot. Well, what I like about that is it shows she's the more responsible of the two. Yes. And that he's really gotten caught up as Cat Noir in, in the excitement of the moment. Yes. Yes. He's more of the thrill junkie than she is. She's more the reluctant hero, very clearly here. She's very clearly the reluctant hero, and he is kind of the curious cat. I would, and and I'm sure it's got to be out there somewhere. I'd love to find a good website that goes and kind of itemizes these kind of rules of their narrative universe. Mm. I'd love to see what the the writer's guide for this show is. 
Yeah. It's probably in French, wouldn't do me any good, but I'd love to see an English version. <laughs> because again, what do they tell the writers you can and can't do with the lucky charm, with the cataclysm? You know, do they know what these other miraculous are? What can Hawk Moth do, not do? What do they want it, you know? I'm curious if now that Ivan has been Stoneheart, he can't be affected or be something else. Oh, is it a one-time deal? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. I'm trying to think if I've got the information to answer that. I haven't gone through all of the first season, so I don't know if anyone ever gets affected a second time. Differently. Differently. Because, I mean, not to well, even, uber spoil, but Stoneheart happens twice. Yes, he, he was still under the effect of the one because he hadn't been cured. Mm-hmm. But is it a once you've been done, uh, Hawk Moth can't kind of yeah. zap you again, if you will. There was one time where the person who got um, kind of evilized or whatever, not who I was expecting. And it led to some pretty... And it's given the situation, it's like, yep, wouldn't have expected that person to, to succumb to the dark side, but I can kind of see how it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, they sold it is what it came yeah, down to. And yeah. It was fun. Oh, I also want to say I love where the uh, door is to uh, Ladybug's bedroom. Yeah, she's up in the attic, so it's a... <laughs> it's well, in what's the floor. funny is not only is it there in the floor, but then she's got another stair up, like a loft sort of a thing. Well, up to the roof. Um, There was one other episode I watched where we get a shot of her room, and it seemed like it was a split-level room. Interesting. Like there might have been a loft in there. I could be wrong. And there may be a loft in like half of it, but she has the stairs where she popped out the roof, we saw at one point. But again, I'd love to see kind of a reference book or website. What's her play? Because it's all computer models. They could do this fairly easily. Yeah. And this is the I'm, I'm part of it is I'm a process junkie. Part of it is I like exploring the space. Mm-hmm. And because it's computer generated, it's got a solidity and consistency to the space. Mm-hmm. The bakery's on the bottom floor. You've got the various rooms up above. You know, how well did they think that through? Yeah. Um. You know, we've got the mansion for, for Cat Noir, Adrian's place and whatnot, the school and things like that. And I don't need all of that laid out, but the kind of the standing sets, the, uh, the home base, if you will, is mm-hmm. always kind of fun to see what little Easter eggs do they toss in there. Yeah. What do we, what could we learn about Marinette based on just her room? Well, in terms of Easter eggs of a sort, we've been told Adrian is a model for his dad's company at the very Mm -hmm. least, but a model in general. And at one point when he's running into the school, we see a billboard that he's the model on opposite the school. He's the teen heartthrob fashion model, whatever. Yeah. And there have been other episodes in which, you know, he's having a photo shoot. She is there trying to, you know, can I can I hang around, you know, trying to get close to him and failing miserably. I liked how they set up her complete klutziness, clumsiness, and and yes, uh, accident prone nature, and how it just it, it literally magically sort of goes away almost without her noticing as Ladybug. And there's that empowerment of kind of the if you just knew the real me mm-hmm. that is is a. a, a common almost truism of of comic book heroes well when she's less self-conscious 
And when she stops being so concerned about other people watching her and what other people are thinking of her. Well, it's funny because I think the same is true with Cat Noir, but in a different way. In both cases, behind the mask, you can't see who they are so they can be who they are. Yes. Yes. With her, nobody saw her or really sees her anyways. With him, all they do is see him. They don't know him. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's kind of that, that middle ground from two extremes. Yeah. And there's those aspects of this property in this show that I find really kind of fun and fascinating. Yeah. There's uh, almost hidden depths to this. Well, and the way they talk to one another when they're behind the masks. Mm-hmm. You know, he gives her a pretty good pep talk towards the end. You know, she's doubting herself and he's saying, you just saved that life. Mm-hmm. That daughter is hugging that father because of you. So you can stop with the doubts. Yeah. Turn around and face the bad guy now. Well, but I think that's an aspect that is as true of Adrian as it is of Cat Noir. In other words, there's a certain aspect of his personality that remains consistent in other parts that are accentuated when he becomes Cat Noir. Well, but it's very much a... He has a perspective of look and see what you have accomplished. Yes. Yes. And the fact that he cares about other people is something that I suspect when he is Adrian isn't as visible. I would agree with that. It's something that's harder for him to express normally um, because, again, the, the visible face of his father's fashion empire whatever. It's also interesting with um, Marinette's friend, the, the one who does the lady blog. Yes. Who also gives the pep talk, is, is kind of the coach, the you can do this mm-hmm. for Marinette, while Cat Noir is that for Ladybug. Yeah. Although I would say the friend is also that for Ladybug with the blog and all that. But in a very different way. Yeah. It's Well, it's funny because she... Is I forget that character's name. I'm blanking on it's it. It's Olive or something similar to Olive. Uh, it's not Olive. It is. It's got to be in here somewhere. Do you have a character list? Maybe on another page. Yes, on another page I do. Alia. Alia. And it's Nino is the friend of uh, Adrian, mm. which is funny because he really sounded a lot like um, uh, Neo from the Matrix. Mm. Um. Keanu. Yeah. Um, but Alia is playing the role, essentially, of the Lois Lane reporter type, the mm-hmm. Vicky Vale, if you will. But she sees Ladybug the way everybody sees Adrian. Yes. And I find that, again, they're switching roles with Cat Noir and, and, and Ladybug in and out of costume in some very fascinating ways. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've got a handful of, of regular characters that show up almost all the time uh obviously you've got marinette ladybug you've got adrian who's cat noir you've got tiki you've got flag or plag those are the two uh akumas or kwamis kwamis they're kwamis the akumas are the butterflies again i get this all mixed up um it's a jargon heavy show well and it's really jargon heavy when they don't explain any of that until the end of the first season yeah and it's like okay i'm getting it as i'm going but i haven't watched it all so i'm missing some bits but then we got Hawk Moth, we've got Chloe, um, the the cliche stereotypical queen bee of the school, if you will. Yeah, I was gonna say she's the mean girl. Yeah. Um, 
She would be the 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 Cordelia Chase using Buffy as the the touch point there. I was gonna say Veronica. Uh, Archie. Archie. There's Veronica Mars. Sorry. So. Yes. Oh, but you've then you got Alia and you know the the best friends for the two leads. You've then got Marinette's parents and uh, Sabrina, which is the Chloe's kind of assistant and gopher or whatever. Which is funny because they don't mention uh, Adrian's father, bodyguard, or uh, uh, tutor. Mm-hmm. And I look at the bodyguard; he looks like a big ape, and I'm like, "There's got to be a story there." Yeah. Uh, and maybe there is, and I just haven't seen it yet. Um, but they're doing some fun stuff with this. I think it's a nice blend of a uh, American comic book. Um, archetypes and and mythology aspects the genre with some very strong japanese influences again the whole transformation sequence to me is almost right out of like a sailor moon or or Mm -hmm. uh power ranger uh super sentai sort of of show as a counterpoint to you never see even with shazam they don't go through this kind of prolonged power-up sequence um and Having the the Parisian cityscape culture and in landmarks gives it a very distinctive feel. It does. So um, again, this is on uh, Nickelodeon. I believe that um, Netflix has acquired the streaming rights to it, um, and there are uh, two more seasons uh, coming up. I believe the second season, according to Wikipedia here, is premiering in May 2017. I think it's a good all-ages show. And I think not only would it be enjoyable for kids, but it's got depth for adults. Well, for a property that started in France on October 19th, 2015, it was already a noticeable deal, I think, by the time of Comic-Con last year, uh, 2016. Uh, there were toys, it was one of the Bandai exclusives. The comic was coming out, um, so it, it hit and it hit big. Yeah. And I think there are properties that every once in a while have that kind of a, a big splash that don't just, you know, then peter out. Yeah. I'm not saying this is this uh, go-round or the equivalent of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. No, but it's worth noticing. But it could be. Yeah. You know, it depends where they go with the property. If they can get a little beyond just, I've seen this formula before. Because for me, it's not there yet, but it's I recognize I'm, there is a formula. Um, I want to see where they go with it, and uh, again, really enjoyed the origin stuff, and uh, yeah. Yeah. So anything else? Is that pretty much it? No, I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.